This is Dave, and I'm here with Ethan, and together we are Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast, episode 11-inch. On this episode, we continue our month-long celebration of UHF and interview the great John Dupre, who wrote the score of UHF. It's Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast. It's a podcast about Weird Al. It's Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast. Seriously, the whole podcast is about Weird Al. You don't have to listen, but we're glad you are. Wow, we had a fun week. Yeah, three concerts this week. I went to Syracuse without you, and I went with my cousin, and it was her first time ever seeing a Weird Al show, and you can hear all about it in the Syracuse, New York Centimeter. Yeah, and then you came down, and we went together to see the show in Philadelphia. Which was one of the best shows I've seen so far. That was such a fun show. Yeah, there were so many Weird Al fans there. So many people we got to hang out with. It was so cool. We had recorded a centimeter episode for that. You want to check that out too when that gets released. Yeah, and uh, what was really exciting is for the first time ever, I got to meet Kelly Phillips, who drew the caricature of us on our website and where we use on social media. So it was really cool to get to meet her and uh, we have an interview with her that will be out eventually. <laughs> <laughs> and we also went to Vienna, Virginia on Tuesday night. But uh, due to the magic of podcasting, we actually haven't been to that concert yet. I'm sure it was a great show. Uh, <laughs> you know, if anything really exciting happens, we'll talk about it maybe next week on the podcast. But uh, for sure, we will have a bonus episode all about it. Yeah, and you can hear all about that and all of our adventures on our bonus centimeter episodes. And they're they're a lot of fun. I um I just caught up on them, Dave. I know I was a little bit behind, <laughs> uh, but they're really fun to kind of relive the shows. And um, you know, you, you you know which songs are coming if you're familiar with the set list. But you know, the the little things that change from night to night are, are really fun to to hear about. And of course, uh, Dave, you and I we keep track of all the little things that people should be keeping track of in spreadsheets. So uh, fans of our podcast, we're looking forward for those links to those spreadsheets. Anytime. Anytime now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, these, these centimeter episodes, we go into a lot of detail on the concert. It's like you're, it's like you're sitting with us, and it's like you're living the concert with us. <laughs> I, think our, I think our last episode was almost as long as the concert was. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> it's very true. Um, so this week, um, I will be in Guilford, New Hampshire, and uh, then we team back up. Yeah, on uh, that Gilford's, of course, uh, Thursday, July 18th. And on Friday, July 19th, we'll be back in Mashantucket, Connecticut, which is home of Foxwoods. Yeah, pretty much whenever someone asks, like, <laughs> and you just say, I'm going to Mashantucket, they look at you with a weird face, and then you just say, Foxwoods, and they're like, ah, yes, yes, Foxwoods. <laughs> and then the next day, uh, we'll be in Queens, New York at Forest Hills Stadium. I'm excited for that one, and then I'll be zipping right up to Boston after that. And uh, after Boston, I've got a day off, and I'm off to Lewiston, New York, which is near... Uh, Buffalo. Yeah, and that is uh, Sunday, July 21st in Boston and Tuesday, July 23rd in Lewiston. And if you 
will be at any of those shows, please, please come over and say hi. We've talked to so many of our listeners, and we have so much fun doing it. And we always carry some cards and stickers, <laughs> so uh, come find us. We love to, to give out stickers and cards and, of course, to say hi to folks. Yeah, definitely. And it's so awesome uh, just to get to talk to everybody you know, and just, just get to hang out with them and stuff. It's just so much fun. And uh, so speaking of uh, Plankton, which you didn't mention, <laughs> but uh, here's my segue. Um, the SpongeBob uh, Big Birthday Blowout uh, just premiered on the 12th of July on Friday on Nickelodeon. And um, we talked to Mr. Lawrence about that a little bit in our uh, interview with him. So I got to see that, and it was great. Uh, you know, it's a, a great mix of, you know, goofy SpongeBob goodness with them actually entering into the real world and you get to see the actual voice actors who play the characters, including Mr. Lawrence. So it's uh, it's one to check out if you haven't already. Yeah, and you can catch our interview with Mr. Lawrence on episode 7-inch if you have not heard that already, or you want to listen to it again. Um, and it's so awesome, I gotta say, that our guests are going on to do such great things, such as being uh, on this show after being on our podcast. Yeah, I, you know, I really don't know that um, Mr. Lawrence's career would be where it is today <laughs> if it wasn't for his appearance on our podcast. Because, Dave, he was just on our podcast just a few weeks ago, and now he's on this special on Nickelodeon. Um, that's not a coincidence. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think so. I think, I think that's uh, solely due to our podcast. <laughs> well, uh, here's another guy who could definitely use our help. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, of course, we are speaking with nothing but sarcasm and tongues in cheeks. Very excited to welcome our next guest all the way from England. He's the composer of such notable works as Monty Python's The Meaning of Life, A Fish Called Wanda, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1, 2, and 3, but most importantly, the 1989 instant cult classic favorite best film ever, UHF. Please welcome John Dupre. John, you are the composer of UHF. What do you remember from that? I, I was living in L.A. when I did this film uh, because I just worked on A Fish Called Wanda. And, um, you know, when it was a big, uh, splashy hit everywhere, you know, and uh, I think number one or number two in America, um, you know, I decided to up sticks from London and bring my family over for, you know, at least a year to see... Um, you know, just so that uh, um, I, I could um, take advantage of any opportunities that came up. And uh, no opportunities whatsoever came up. Um, you know, I'm sure L.A. is full of people who just kind of have one hit and they kind of rush over and, you know, and then and then find out that it's a big place and you're a small fish in a big pond and you don't get anywhere. Um, but uh, I did do a TV series uh, called A Fine Romance uh, for ABC, that sort of got my kids into school because I got my work visa. Um, hmm. But things were very thin. And then um, I was approached to do UHF, and they said, the budget is $15,000, including you. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's not a big budget. In fact, it's not even a big budget for studio, let alone, uh, y y you know, working for nothing to do it. Um, uh, and it wasn't even chicks for free. It was just working for nothing. <laughs> so, because um, I spent, obviously, I spent the whole $15,000 on studio time. And, uh, and so we couldn't afford any musicians. But I did have access to Weird Al's band, which was great. So I got the drummer and the guitarist, 
came in and did some tracks, and, and Weird Al would come in and sing. We did some, uh, you, you know, on things like the um, the uh, the little. Uh, there's a very nice little theme, you know, when he first uh, comes out of the UHF station. It's like a sort of, um, uh, it's like a, a vocal track. Yep. Uh, yeah, I can picture I, I, it exactly. You, you can picture it exactly. So we just did all that, standing around the microphone, doing all that lot, but. But the only the only kind of weapons in my uh, in my uh, in my uh, armory uh, was an SE thirty computer. I just got my first Mac, um, and it had uh, it had Performer on it, a sequencing uh, program called Performer, and I had an EMU rack mount with some samples, and I had a Korg M one keyboard, and that was it. So um, <laughs> the uh, the whole thing had to be done on that. And so if you think about those kind of big spoof numbers, you know, like um, Conan the Liber li Librarian, yeah. you know, uh, uh, and uh, the the, uh, the Temple of Doom spoof at the beginning, you know, the, uh, <laughs> they, the these are all orchestral, yeah. the, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to spoof orchestral scores here. And so I had to kind of create orchestras, just out of these um, uh, elements, um, I had one other element. I, I, I obviously I played the trumpet and the French horn, so I could do a little brass. So when the big ball starts rolling down, um, you know, after he's uh, stolen the Oscar, right? Um, in that opening sequence, um, you know, I had Weird Al's drummer to do percussion. <laughs> I had an emu sampler to do all the strings. I had my own brass to do a big brass <laughs> section, you know, and that's just about it. <laughs> so uh, it was it was a pretty amazing uh, uh, um, task to try and do all that. Um, we worked. Uh, we hired a, a studio called Clear Lake Studio, and they had very foolishly in their um, in their catalogue they had a 24-hour rate. So you, instead of booking the studio by the hour, you could book it by 24 hours. And so I booked it for a week. That was about all the, the whole, the, the whole uh, budget would allow. And they then discovered that I was capable of working round the clock 24 hours a day. <laughs> uh, getting very, very little sleep in between, you know, and, um, and that's how we got it all done. That is remarkable. I, I gotta know. Do you want me just to carry on rabbiting on, or, or would you? Do you have some uh, intelligent questions to <laughs> kind of focus things? We have intelligent questions, but we also love the rabbiting on. I, I gotta ask. So, what, what what was the circumstance that you were chosen for UHF? Were they a fan of uh, Fish Called Wanda? Or, you know, what was? Do you know the story behind that? Well, um, I had an agent, and to the best of my knowledge, it came through. Um, it came through my agent. My agent, Chrissy Barnes was trying to get me uh, stuff uh, off the back of uh, Monty Python and uh, Fish Called Wanda. And so I suppose um, it struck a chord with them. They sort of said, oh, he's worked with Monty Python, you know, he, uh, and he's done Fish Called Wanda. He, you know, he, he might be able to do it. So this very exotic lady called Catherine Quitner appeared at the front door. She was the music editor. And okay. she was quite a force of nature. She had kind of wild hair sticking in all directions. She drove a red vintage Mustang, and um, she was kind of kind of crazy, but very interesting and nice. So um, she uh, uh, she 
I guess she uh, liked my stuff, and uh, and we did the film. And so what would what have the way it worked was that I I wrote the music to uh, you know I had a video. It was all on video record tape recorders. That so you know I um. There was the movie already filmed when you wrote this? Oh, or... I see. It was the film? Yes, yes. The film. The the, the, the It was already in the can, and they were okay. editing. They generally don't bring a composer on until they've got at least a rough cut. You know, okay. Be, okay. because um, it's all a, a little bit different now because they start editing a film as soon as they start shooting now. So that often by the time they finished shooting, they've got a digital um, assemblage that uh, that you can look at. But um, it, it, in those days, it took time to edit film, mm-hmm. um, and and I think they might even have been editing on on um, on. Uh, on Betamax, you know, on video, it might have been, but it, but that was usually more expensive than working on film. So I, I don't know, I can't remember. I didn't go into the cutting room much. There was very little time. I suspect they might even have tried t- several people, and it often happens that that um, that scores crash and burn, and then it uses up the budget and it uses up the time, and then they have to find someone else with no money and no time, and that's probably what happened to me. Although I don't know. Hmm. Whether they approached other people or not, but that w- that was very common thing to happening, especially in comedy, because um, you know comedy is really tough. I mean, you know, it either works or it doesn't. You know, and you can kill a joke at um, at forty paces if you're not careful. Right. So, um, <laughs> um, so that that's how it was. So I, I had to write the score very quickly to video. And then uh, we got a gentleman called Mark Mann, who's an amazing digital uh, genius um, that I'd met in a computer store, actually. But he could do he could do uh, sequencing on the on the Mac SE30, and so I would play the, the 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 music. You know, we would prepare for the score by playing the music into this SE30 into a sequencer. You know, so that we had a lot stored inside the computer before we went into the studio so we could then run off the string parts and the percussion parts you see what i mean right you know you do a lot of preparation like that and then we did the live music over that Uh, and i i rented a house in santa monica so uh, generally speaking uh, i don't think i went into the cutting room at all it might even have been the case that jay jay levy was editing at his home or something like that and so uh, I can't remember going into any cutting room, so I don't even believe there was a cutting room. <laughs> <laughs> now, what kind of uh, direction did, did did Al or Jay Levy give you, or or did you have kind of a free a free range? Here's the film. You you decide what what uh, what the music should be like. Well, again, I, I, I don't know why I didn't uh, I didn't spend a lot of time with Weird Al. I think that that he his intention was there in the film, and that he sort of basically uh, used the music editor as a kind of, um, you know, as a, a go-between to explain what was wanted. So, um, and of course, it, it wasn't rocket science. I mean, if you're doing, uh, uh, because of there were, there were so many um, uh, 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 spoof adverts, you know, like Spatula City and Plots Are Us. So, I mean, you know, it wasn't like scoring a normal film from that point of view. No, normally, you you sort of see the whole film and you decide on the characterization, and you have themes for different characters and you follow that through. This was really quite different. It was a series of spoofs and fantasies. Um, and so he begins with his, um, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark fantasy, 
and then he, then they have all these fantasy adverts. So the whole thing was a sort of series of fantasies, and that was all uh, very, very obvious from the footage. Right. And so uh, it, w- it was like doing uh, 10 films or 20 films uh, and doing 20 adverts. It was like um, that's how it was. With no budget. <laughs> <laughs> With no budget, yeah. You couldn't point to it and say, oh, well, there's a Weird owl character theme or, or there's a love theme for his, his uh, you know, for Victoria Jackson. Mm-hmm. You know, or that there's a, a janitor theme for Michael Richards. You, you couldn't say, you know, it didn't work like that. Um, there was a there was a kind of mop theme. I remember, you know, <laughs> <laughs> when he sees there's a sort of Holy Grail theme yeah. for his mop. When <laughs> yeah. he mop. So there were little themes like that, you know, throughout the film. But it was it was, you know, Gandhi Gandhi too, you, you know. Um, was a kind of little world of its own. So it was a series of little worlds, if you like. You know, were out of those those little things, were there any that of your that were favorites for you to do, or any that you found really challenging? Well, I, I, I they were all challenging. And so, I mean, there's a certain amount of um, parallel there with Python because Python would say was you know like if you look at Meaning of Life, you know, it starts out there's a, they're in the trenches in the in the First World War. So that determines the kind of music that you want behind it. It, 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 It's, um, you know, or or if, uh, you know, there there are lots and lots of examples like that. So um, that's kind of what it was. There was a long shopping list, uh, and I just had to work my way through and come up with themes for all these different adverts. And often it was a case of of playing against type. So in Gandhi, you know, that was... You don't want a Gandhi theme. You you want a kind of Rocky theme for for uh, because they're presenting him as a kind of action hero. So it, it's um, I just took each section on its own. One of my favourite sections actually was the Rambo because that's really like a mini film. It goes on for about ten minutes. Yeah, and it's very little dialogue. And I really enjoyed doing that. I mean, one of my great heroes is John Williams. You know, I like doing sort of big orchestral heroic music, um, and so that was a really great chance to do to do it there. And I have to, I, I would just kind of throw in that it's one of my long-term ambitions that I would love to perform the UHF score uh, with an orchestra. <laughs> How can we make this happen, John? We, we need to hear this. <laughs> well, I, I hear that Dave has magical powers. He got the kind of the, uh, the Walk of Fame star organized. And That's so, true. Um, I'll, I'll kind of throw it out to you. It, I, I missed my chance on the 25th anniversary because um, what I wanted to do was a live-to-screen uh, thing at the Hollywood Bowl where we would play the score live and Weird Al's band would play the songs, perform the songs. And basically they said, well, it's too late. You know, we've already done our uh, our uh, 25th anniversary concert, which was in Texas, I think, you know, or, or they're, 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 it was filmed in Texas. So to answer your earlier question, you know, it had to be after it was filmed because they filmed in Texas and then went back to LA to do the post, so it had to be all finished. So um, yeah, so uh, you know, I, I because I had to do it on this this tiny budget on this tiny computer with with a tiny music sampler. I just love to do it properly with 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 real instruments to and do it to screen. You know, incredible. That would be so incredible. So if you can start working on that, I think that well, would yeah. be great. Okay. <laughs> a lovely guy called Cody Chavez who's trying to do the same for Turtles. He's trying to get a live to screen thing going. So we get an orchestra and conduct it to screen, you know, for the Turtles movie. 
That would be amazing. So I'd love to do I'd love to do the UHF scene. Yeah, and it's the thirtieth anniversary this year of UHF, so we'll uh, we'll definitely. Oh, and the other thing I would throw out there is that the um, there there was a CD from the film, but most of it was Weird Al songs. Right. There's very little, you know, the score itself has never been issued on a CD. And I happen to have all the, the kind of master tapes of the of the original score. And so I'd love to do a CD of the, of the um, you know, of the, of the uh, score. John, that was our next question. <laughs> what do we need to do to get this CD out? Well, you, 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 what you have to do is to get hold of the rights holders and get their permission and then I'll do it. Because all right. I um uh, I I had a friend you know tried to look into the into the who owns the film now because of course Orion's gone it was an Orion film am I right yes yes yeah and they disappeared and so goodness knows who owns the rights to it at the moment I believe MGM it's MGM now do you agree Dave I I believe it's also MGM okay yes. well that that makes life easier because MGM is Sony and it's also Fiscal Wonder was MGM and uh, you know I, so. If Sony owned the rights to it, but I, I, and someone told me, well, the only way to find out who owns it is just to put the CD out and see who sues you. <laughs> we'll help you with that too, John. We're we're very uh, we love this idea. If you have legal background, you know, then we could get we could cook up a plot here. Let's do it. <laughs> um, and, and let's face it, you know, a, a UHL soundtrack album is not going to make. Uh, if, if, if you're lucky, it will cover the cost of printing. So. Uh, it's not going to make a great deal of money. Yeah, but the fans have been have been hoping for exactly, one for yeah. years. It would be very so, nice to do it. And so, yes. uh, so I'm I I I I did it for Fiscal Wonder. I did that two years ago. I I've done it for uh, Turtles, and now I've got a double uh, vinyl came out in October, and I've already mastered Turtles two and three. So wow. they're awaiting in the wings to come out. So that UHF is, is something I could, you know, uh, I, I'm very busy, but it's certainly something I would like to put on my list. And you know, get the um, get the soundtrack into a pre into presentable form, you know, and get get the soundtrack issued. Well, John, you know what we're going to be doing the rest of this year. So over to, <laughs> over to you. We will do it. We will make it happen. I I will promise. We will find right a way. Now. We will figure it out. Okay. <laughs> But start with the rights holders, you know, and okay. just get their permission. That, that's the first thing. We'll do it. And then after that, I, I, you know, then you, you've got to, I just have to plumb it into my schedule and and, uh, and put two or three months aside to do it. That's so amazing. I, you know, okay, so you have the original tapes for the score. Do you have any other memorabilia from the film? Did they give you the, you know, the Oscar or anything from the film? Any props or? No. <laughs> <laughs> you got nothing. Um, <laughs> There is, a, there is a reason for that, um, and that is because um, I, I told you that I, I, I took my family over to, uh, to L.A. in 1988 on the back of Fiscal Wonder. We went over in about October, uh, and I, 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 had, I couldn't get anything until Christmas, so I did this, this TV thing from Christmas to Easter. And then, as my, I remember, I did UHF at Easter, between Easter and June and July. And at that point, I ran out of money and couldn't pay my rent, and had to go back to England. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it, it got even worse, because uh, I sublet my house to a lady called Loretta Swift, that you may know from um, MASH. Okay. okay. She was having her house in Malibu remodeled, and so she wanted a short 
rent, you know, a sort of, she took over the lease, basically, so I didn't have to pay for the rest of the lease, because I couldn't afford to do that anyway. It was 3000 a month even back then. It was a huge rent. Wow. And so I thought, oh, great, Loretta Swift's going to sublet. Well, I got back to England, and she demanded that the landlord put, painted the whole thing white or something, and put cable in every room. And, of course, they wouldn't do that. And so she refused to pay rent. And oh, so no. I still had to pay the rent, <laughs> even though I had no money and was back in England. Oh. And uh, anyway, it finally, I finally phoned her, her lawyer or, or her agent or something and said, look, I'm the pianist. Please don't shoot me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the middle of this crossfire. You know, you're not... It, it did get settled eventually. You know, they agreed and, and uh, they paid up. But So I was in dire finance. I didn't even go to the premiere of UHF. Oh. It's terrible to hear. So uh, I, I didn't, I didn't do any filming. I didn't go to any screening, and I just, and 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 all I heard was that it went, it opened for one weekend, and the critics said it was the worst film ever made, and it <laughs> came off again. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, but it's turned into a massive cult, which is wonderful, you know, yes. and it's still, it's still one of my favorite. I look back on it as one of the happiest things I ever did. You know, I just—it was so funny. Really, it it holds up so well. And I think they should reissue the film. Quite frankly, I mean, it's hilarious. It really is. I mean, we did get the but, DVD um, eventually, and we did get a Blu-ray. But I would love to see it back in theaters. I, I have done a couple screenings. Uh, I used to work at a venue uh, in upstate New York, and we did a couple live screenings uh, with an audience, and it was just. Seeing it on the big screen and with a real audience was just remarkable. Well, you see, because, uh, I mean, today is, is they just re-released um, Life of Brian uh, yesterday yes. for, for three days. And so... The 40th anniversary. Y yeah, you know, so, which was the first film I ever worked on. So um, that was my introduction to the film business So in 1979. So it would be terrific if they just, you know, did it on a, you know, release it for two days or three days or something like right. that. When I was on tour with Eric Idle, uh, you know, we were we were touring around the country and we ended up in, in one place. Uh, I, I forget where it was. It was Milwaukee or somewhere like that. Yeah. And um, we, we'd finished the gig and we were getting back on the tour bus and they said, hey, there's a lady... Um, a girl from the audience who wants you to sign her VHS of uh, UHF. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, you know, so I, I, I did so. We were in the street, you know, ready just to take off. But she came up, she had the DV, she had this um, VHS, I think it was. And it turned out that she had decorated her flat like the Wheel of Fish set. <laughs> 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 so when you get kind of fans who are dedicated like that, uh, I, I did see it. There, there are various websites that do the catchphrases from yeah. UHF, aren't there? Oh yeah, you, you know, like um, you know, Gandhi too. He's back. He's mean, and he knows how to party. It's just kind of full of one-liners <laughs> like that. Um, so we dedicated fans like that. I'm sure there would be a, 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 a market for a limited re-release of the film. Certainly. Oh, absolutely. I absolutely. And think perhaps, so. perhaps combined with a live-to-screen thing, you know, as well. Yeah. Yeah, I live to that. screen or and a, and a release of the uh, the soundtrack, the score. Let's do it all. Work perfectly together in the package. We've got the it all on you, The big problem with live to screen, by the way, is that you've got to get the split track. You you've got them to take you you've got to get them to take the music out of the film. Uh, okay. 
you can't just play over it. Well, because you've got, you know, in, in a film you have three tracks normally. You have the dialogue tracks, the effects tracks, and the music track. And, and, and when you dub a film, you marry them together and you get a married print. So you need to go back and, and have dialogue and effects and, the, and Weird Al's songs, but without the orchestra score. So that's the problem with it. You know, I, I guess you could have somebody... No, you, 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 you couldn't have someone with a volume control because if you turn down the music, you're probably going to kill dialogue as well. So that's the technical thing. It, you, you've got to get the, the... You must find the rights holder and the studio must be willing to do a special live-to-screen print, you know, and that's the expense and the difficulty. John, leave that up to us. We will figure it out. Okay. We're going to get this released. We're going <laughs> to... We're going to do it all. <laughs> We're going to hatch, hatch a plot here. That's right. Uh, John, w- what a wonderful uh, conversation. Thank you so much for, for telling us. All right. Well, that, uh, you, you know, you've got my email. Stay in touch and let me know where you get on with the uh, – first of all, I think we should get the soundtrack album out, and then we should get a live to screen. Let's do it. We'll start a list. We'll, we'll get it done. Uh, we'll stay in touch. Um, yeah. John, is there anything you want to tell us, promote, website, anything we want to send fans to? Oh, no, not, you know, I'm living, uh, I I am in England at the moment. I mean, you thought I was in L.A. I mean, I I had a house in Studio City, but I let it go a couple of years ago. Um, And, uh, but, you know, I spend, uh, you know, I've just got a lot of work. I'm working on an an animation called The Clangers, which is for for the BBC, um, which is taking a lot of time. Um, And, uh, you know, we're hoping to have a Spamalot movie come up soon. So, wow! But we're waiting for Fox to, uh, you know, to get it in, into their production schedule. That would be amazing. And so that's going to be the big thing this year, hopefully. That would um, be amazing. But yeah. obviously, Spamalot uh, completely uh, transformed my life um, in that, uh, you know, I could stop living hand to mouth. I think in the, you, you know, if anyone wants to be a film composer, be very careful. I think I lost my hash five times. Oh, uh, wow. Three times to the bank and twice to the landlord. I told you about one of them. You know, <laughs> right. but, I mean, you always—it's very hard to bring a family up and compose music. So it's—you uh, just got to be very, very dedicated. <laughs> <laughs> and we are so thankful that you were. Uh, you got such a, a great list of films that you worked on. Most importantly, UHF, of course. Um, and we're gonna—we're gonna get that album out. We're gonna—we're gonna get the live to screen. Um, we can't wait. Uh, John, thank you so much for, for joining us. All right, great. All right, best of luck with your podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. Thank you, bye. Hey, it's Bob, the station manager from U62, you know, Wheel of Fish. Anyway, you're listening to Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast. Back in 1989, I never had the opportunity to see UHF in a theater. And I know you never saw UHF in a theater because you weren't born yet. Well, uh, <laughs> hey, well, may, well, I like to think that maybe I was conceived around the same time that it was in theaters. So uh, I guess there was a possibility that I, I could have been technically um, in this universe uh, when it was out. But no, I did not see it in, in theaters in its original release. But I have seen it in theaters. Oh, really? I, uh, as you know, I used to work at Proctor's in Schenectady, and um, I was part of this really cool club called It Came From Schenectady, where me and a couple of the other uh, guys who were big movie fans and cult movie fans would put on um, screenings of shows. So, I mean, they did everything from um, The Room to Big Lebowski 
uh, to crazier things. And as soon as I joined up with them, of course, I had to do a screening of UHF. Uh, and it was really a blast. Um, we actually ended up doing it twice. And they were both big successes. So the first one was enough of a big success that they're like, hey, we should make we should do this again. Because typically um, it came from Schenectady would do do it once and then kind of move on. But it was so popular, we decided to do it again. And um, what was really great is we brought in a local food vendor and we actually sold Twinkie Wiener sandwiches <laughs> at the event. And I just remember standing there eating a Twinkie Wiener sandwich, looking at the crowd all eating Twinkie Wiener sandwiches, about to see UHF on the big screen for the first time. And I was just like, I would have never believed myself if I told, you know, 13-year-old Ethan that this day would come. But it did. And it was it was amazing. You know, the 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 crowd loved all the different parts in the film. Uh, of course, you know, the every part that you would expect the crowd to react to, they did. And it was just so much fun to watch it with a, a like-minded audience. And the first time we showed it, um, we did a bonus screening afterwards, and we actually watched Alpocalypse HD. And uh, that was really cool on the big screen, seeing all those music videos in HD. Um, and the second time we did it, as a bonus screening, we showed the complete Al. So it was really cool to not only see UHF on the big screen, but I also got to see uh, Alpocalypse HD and complete Al on the big screen. And uh, both times before the screenings, I did little trivia, um, you know, giveaways, like try and stump me or, you know, try and answer the trivia. And uh, I tried to write really easy questions, but even the easiest questions I could think of, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> we were a little too hard for the audience. Um, and then it just, instead of it becoming a uh, trivia show, it just became funny for me to read these questions that everyone thought were impossible. <laughs> uh <laughs> <laughs> so it worked out in the end, but man, they were really fun. I wish uh, I wish you could have been there. Have you seen UHF on a big screen? I did finally remedy that uh, 24 years later. I, okay. I, I did see it. Um, I, 24 years later, it was October 18, 2013. This was the same trip out in Tulsa that I had made for all the uh, different UHF sites. Oh, cool. See, right? Yeah. Um, well, there was this place uh, down and down, and, and the whole city was basically celebrating what they were calling the 25th anniversary. It was really the 24th anniversary, but they were calling the 25th anniversary of the the year it was recorded. Oh, okay, and that makes sense. Filmed. Right. So, so they were both billing it all as the 24th anniversary, uh, 25th anniversary, but it really was the 24th anniversary. Uh, but anyway, it was October 18, 2013, at this place called Circle Cinema in downtown Tulsa. And what's really cool is that this cinema, every two hours, they were playing, like, for 24 hours straight, they were playing UHF. Wow. Did you sit there for 24 <laughs> hours? I feel like I would be tempted to. I was tempted, <laughs> I was tempted to, however, uh, because I did want to see the sights on the UHF uh, uh, okay. filming tour. Okay. We, we did not. We, we made, uh, at, Vicky and I made it at an 8 p.m. showing. And what was really cool is that there were... Uh, the whole theater was filled with uh, other Weird Al fans that's that, like, awesome. that I knew. You know, that's that was, awesome. come out like uh, Alicia was there, Sarah, Peggy, uh, Nancy, Mason, and Amara were all just hanging out there. And we, we, it was really cool to get to see, my first experience to get to see it with some super fans. Right. You know, and uh, we all, of course, you know, recited along, you know, and to the all the different, you know, uh, fun All the parts, parts in yeah. the film, you know, and then supplies, yeah. <laughs> and afterwards, um, 
they, they also had have run a contest there where the people had done artwork for UHF and they had it all, all their artwork up in the lobby. So there were all different um, artwork, UHF themed artwork in their lobby. And it was cool. really, it was a really fun experience. It was a good thing that I didn't see it in 1989. It was, it was a good first time to see it, you know, with the, it with sounds the it. right people. In, yeah. in the right people, in the right location. That sounds really cool. And, um, yeah. Now, I, I understand that you actually saw it with um, a couple other people, like, on stage. Uh, I did. Actually, this was cool. Um, back on October 30th, uh, 2016, there was a screening of UHF uh, put as on part of uh, Benson Ball, which is a big uh, comedy uh, festival in Washington, D.C. Okay. And um, it was at the Lincoln Theater, and it was a UHF with um, live, you know, commentary, and and some of the people that were there were Al and Emo Phillips. Wow! And it was hosted by Tignotaro. Uh, Tignotaro, of course. Sure. Very and, funny. And uh, it was also um, like Dave Hill was there, and there were a couple other uh, com- comedians that were there. Yeah, I was so bummed to have missed this because Dave Hill is a friend of mine. I've performed with him a bunch, and he is super, super funny. So um, I know I've talked to him in in my you know, in our off time, and I would ask him every single thing I could get, ask him if he remembered about that experience. Uh, it just sounds way too cool. Uh, so was, how was it? It was really cool because actually, you know, when you think of like a, you know, that they're going to do a live Q&A, uh, you usually think, oh, they're going to show the movie and then they're going to... Uh, to you know, have a question and answer session after. Well, right. What they did is they were showing the movie, and at certain parts of the movie, they were bringing people out on stage, and they were pausing the movie, and they were letting the movie play in the background while you know Tig was interviewing Al and Emo and hmm. you know, everybody. So it was really kind of that's cool really cool because um, you were watching the movie in the background. Of course, they basically prefaced that. You know, they, they warn people, make sure you see the movie before you come because we're going to do this. Of course, that wasn't an issue for right. me. And probably <laughs> 99% of the audience, you know, because um, definitely when it got to the audience participation part, you know, the supplies, you know, whatever, you know, somebody would yell and Al would be like, oh, yeah, you know, my fans want to watch this. And we would just all stay, they would, stay, you know, they would stop the, the, you know, the conversation and, and basically they would... Uh, Everyone would participate, and then they would go back to whatever the conversation. So it was it was kind of like almost having commentary going on while you were watching them, like live commentary going on while you're watching the movie. It was probably it was an awesome experience, and and I really wish that like you know when they do those kind of Q and A sessions that like you know they play the movie and then the person comes out. I wish that they kind of would use this as an example because it was really just so much. So much fun because most of the time when you're going to these Q and A's, you've already seen the movie, right? So, to, but just to have the movie there and have you know it as a great way for you know them to trigger questions to ask the the performer who's up on stage is or the, in this case there was like four or five people up on stage that that were all watching the movie along with us and com you know commenting and then of course I think at the end they they may have taken a few questions from the audience as well. Man, I, I would love to try try out that format and, and see how that works. It sounds so much fun. So we've both seen it in theaters. You saw it with, you know, kind of interrupting in a panel. Um, and something you kind of hit on a little bit is something that we both actually got to go to together was a screening followed by a Q&A with Al on stage. Yeah, uh, that was September 16, 2017 at the Columbus Theater in Providence, Rhode Island. 
That was awesome. Uh, I remember making the drive up. I, I think I, I like only heard about it like a week before it happened. And I just like I bought like the last ticket available <laughs> and I drove all the way out to Rhode Island. And it was such an amazing experience because, again, it was it was different than watching it like in a movie theater. You're watching it in this really cool venue that probably sat, you know, 800 to 1000 people. And then, um, you know, of course, the audience is reacting to all the parts. Right. And then Al comes out, and uh, there was a, a really good moderator, and he he talked to Al for a bit, and then they took questions from the audience, and I had a really great time. Yeah, that was a lot of cool. That was a lot of fun, uh, definitely, and that's a very memorable uh, experience for me because actually during the Q and A session, I actually got to go up and talk. Uh, I remember the microphone, and, and I filmed you <laughs> during this part. I don't know if we saw the video somewhere. Yeah. Uh, well, this was special because um, this was like a couple days before uh, this event happened. The Star Fund, the Weird Al Star Fund, had hit its $40,000 goal. Right. So because of I, this event um, coming up, I was like, well, this is a perfect opportunity. If I get to tell Al in person that, you know, this star is funded, it was going to happen. But, you know, he'd already known it was, you know, been accept, you know, he'd been accepted. But if I can tell him it's, it's fully funded and he doesn't have to worry about that aspect of it, that would be cool. So I, I did. I went up to the microphone and I told him and he basically kind of pointed me out before I even started talking. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> and then when I, ma I made my announcement, he was, he was, of course, excited. And of course, uh, you know, everybody in the theater was really happy. And, and it was kind of cool because I did get a lot of people afterwards after the event coming up to me and shaking my hand yeah. and, and just, just saying thanks for doing that, you know, and, and really appreciate, you know, everything that you put in for to help out get that star. So that's a very... All, th all three experiences that I've seen UHF in, in a movie theater setting or in a theater setting have been just great, amazing experiences for totally, me. Totally, totally. And, you know, what's so crazy is you announced the, um, you know, the, the funding was complete. And then less than a year later, we were in L.A. for the star that ceremony. True. So that's, that, you know, that's just that's so cool um, that it was that close to when it actually happened. I love it. Um, so Dave, I think that we should do a screening eventually. I think we should get together and we should do a UHF screening. Would, How fun would that be? I would love that if we did like a podcast right from, uh, right from the theater where we're screening UHF. I that think would be, be amazing. And, and of course, all our listeners are more than welcome to come and hang out and watch the movie with us. Well, so what do you guys think? Should we do it? Should we, uh, set this up? Um, I think we should, even if nobody shows up, I would just like to watch it again on the big screen. <laughs> <laughs> it was just me and Ethan sitting in the theater watching it. We Dave and it. Ethan's <laughs> 2000 inch UHF screening. We want to thank all of our listeners. And of course we want to thank John who called in all the way from England. We're going to do whatever we can to get that UHF score released, aren't we, Ethan? I, yeah. Uh, I mean, we wanted to ask him about that and he just brought it right up. So <laughs> thanks, John. <laughs> And I know, I personally know from experience that if Al fans want something done, we'll get it done. That's right. <laughs> uh, we, we got the star. We, we got uh, UHF released on DVD. Um, we'll do it all. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it all on UHF. And, and not to mention the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles soundtrack was released after all these years. So um, hopefully we can get that done for UHF.
Yeah, I would love. I, I know I'm not alone when when I say I want I want a copy of that for my collection. There <laughs> are just to listen to it. There are dozens of us who want it. <laughs> I'm you know honestly UHF is so popular and especially vinyls are so popular. Um, I I really think that if they did a limited run of that, it would sell out instantly. So um, here's hoping that we can make that happen. Yeah, especially, you know, with vinyl coming back, just something really nice, nice, pretty presentation. I think I think this would sell well among the, the Weird Al fans, definitely. Yeah, I mean, even, you know, even if not just for the fact that it's the UHF score, but also the fact that we learned that, um, you know, Bermuda and the band are performing on it. So uh, that's just a really cool aspect of it that um, would make it even that much more collectible and desirable. Yeah, for sure. All right, so you can check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at 2000inch. That's the number 2000, the word I-N-C-H, and 2000inch.com. And you can always call us, don't forget, at 347-SPATULA, which is 347-772-8852. And you can leave us a message any time of day or night. We love hearing from our listeners out there, and we might even play your message on the air. (laughs) If you like this podcast, please subscribe. It means a lot to us. We're on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, anywhere you can listen or stream podcasts. And if you find a place where we're not, let us know and we'll add ourselves there. (laughs) (laughs) We look forward to hanging out with all of our fans in Guilford and Mashantucket and Queens and Boston and Lewiston and uh, and everywhere else we're going to be later this summer. So keep on listening to our concert reviews, the bonus episodes, and, you know, we call them centimeters, of course. And uh, we're producing so much great interviews and stuff. We cannot wait to share it with you uh, coming up this year. Yeah, if you'll be at any of those shows, remember, stop by, say hello. We'll give you stickers. It's great. <laughs> Unless Frank forgets to give them to us, <laughs> like he did in Philly. <laughs> and we'll also we'll be recording uh, centimeter episodes which are reviews after those. So, yeah. And we actually got some great fan reactions from uh, Philadelphia. So we're looking forward to talking to fans and maybe getting some more fan reactions. Totally. And uh, next week, I'm so excited, UHF Month continues. Of course, it's the 30th anniversary of our favorite movie and our amazing guests. Uh, I don't even know if we should surprise them or just tell them. Uh, let's just tell them David <laughs> Bowe is going to be on the show. <laughs> Oh, David Bowe, he's amazing. Of course, he plays Bobbo the Clown, or Bob, in the movie UHF. Yeah, and, you know, after we spoke to him, we know for sure that he's just a (laughs) genuinely nice and really funny guy. Uh, So I can't wait for you to hear that interview with him. I so want to just hang out with David Bowe. Maybe we could go to a Cubs game. (laughs) (laughs) He's so much fun. I don't think I've laughed that hard since in a long time since yeah. talking to David. He's just a just a funny, <laughs> genuine guy. I, I can't wait for you guys to hear this. And I learned so much, too. Not only was he funny, he was very informative about UHF. Um, so catch the brand new episode next week. That was Dave and Ethan's 2008 Weird Al Podcast, episode 11 Where does Elvis come into it? Do do you kind of um, gyrate your hips a lot?